Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. We are doing Silence by Shusaku Endo, and we are now beginning Chapter 1. Letter of Sebastian Rodriguez. Pax Christi. Praised be Christ. I have already told you about how we arrived at Goa last year on October 9th, and now on May 1st we have reached Macau. Amidst all the difficulties and privations of the journey... Of the journey... Juan de Santa Marta became utterly exhausted, and it looked as if he was getting malaria. So only Francis Garape and myself are working with all our strength at the missionary college here. We certainly received a wonderful welcome. The problem is, however, that Father Valignano, rector of the college, who has been here for ten years, has been utterly opposed to our journey to, to Japan. In his room overlooking the bay, he spoke to us at length, and this is the gist of what he said. I am obliged to refuse to send any more missionaries to Japan. The sea journey is extremely dangerous for Portuguese ships, and you will encounter all sorts of obstacles before even setting foot in the country. His opposition is not altogether unreasonable, in view of the fact that since 1636, the Japanese government, suspecting that the Portuguese were in some way connected with the Shimabara Rebellion, has completely cut all commercial relationship with them. Not only this, but in the journey from Macau, the seas neighboring on Japan are infested by English and Dutch warships which open fire on our trading ships. And yet, our secret mission could, with God's help, turn, success, turn out successful, said Juan de Santa Marta, blinking his eyes fervently. In that stricken land, the Christians have lost their priests and are like a flock of sheep without a shepherd. Someone must go to give them courage and to ensure that the tiny flame of faith does not die out. Okay, so basically what's going on here is that, <clears throat> number one, the Japanese are trying to root out uh, any, any secret missionary groups. And the, number two, the big reason is to fight off colonization. And what is colonization or imperialism uh, uh, as far as the Japanese are concerned? These are these European countries who are trying to steal everything from our, us, all of our resources, uh, all of our, our trade secrets, everything. And then, it, this is also a competition among the colonizers. It's the Portuguese versus the English versus the Dutch. And so they all are racing against each other to, to, to loot the rest of the world. From their perspective, they're racing against each other to civilize the entire world. But from the recipients of their imperialism, it's basically a process of exploitation. And so they're also in danger of getting hit or fired upon by English or Dutch warships. And what is the basic purpose of warships usually? It's to keep passage for trading ships safe. So we have our navy and our army is all across the world. We have 800 bases. I'm saying the United States right now has some 800 bases, and a big reason is for American business uh, uh, ships to, to, to travel safely. That's, it's basically protecting our trade. At these words, a shadow passed over... Oh, uh, any other secret mission? Oh, no, you heard of that. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. At oh. these words. At these words, a shadow passed over Valignano's face, and he remained silent. No doubt, to this very day, he was deeply troubled by the dilemma of his duty as a superior and the fate of the unfortunate, persecuted Christians. And so the old man said no word, resting his forehead on his hands. From his room, the harbor of Macau could be seen in the distance. The sea was red in the evening sun. Black junks floated on the water, scattered here and there like black smudges. And one more point. We have an added duty. We want to find out the truth about our teacher, Ferreira. 
About Ferreira, we have had no further news. The reports about him are vague. Anyhow, at present, we don't have any plans for investigating the truth or falsity of what has been said about him. Is he alive? Even that we don't know. Valignano raised his head and heaved a deep sigh as he spoke. The reports he sent me regularly from the year 1633 have come to a sudden end. Whether he unhappily got sick and died, whether he is lying in the prison of the infidel, whether, as you are imagining, he won a glorious martyrdom, or whether he is still alive trying to send some report but unable to do so. About this, at present, we can say nothing. Valignano did not so much as utter a word about rumors that Ferreira had succumbed beneath the torture of his enemies. Like us, he was loath to attribute such fanciful charges to his old friend. Moreover, and now Valignano spoke with some emphasis, in Japan there has now appeared a person who is indeed a terror for the Christians. His name is Inoue. Inoue. This was for the first. This was the first time we had heard the name of Inoue. Valignano went on to say that in comparison with the savagery of Inoue, someone like Ta Takanaka, the former magistrate of Nagasaki who had butchered so many Christians, was no more than a simple-minded person. And so, to imprint on our memories the name of this Japanese, whom we would undoubtedly meet after landing in Japan, we repeated the unfamiliar sounds again and again. In new way. From the last report and sent by the Christians in Kyushu, Valignano had a good deal of knowledge about this man. Since the rebellion of Shimavara, he had become, for all practical purposes, the architect of the Christian persecution. Quite unlike his predecessor, Tak. Takanaka, he was cunning as a serpent. He was as he was cunning as a serpent, so that the Christians who until now had not flinched at threats and tortures succumbed one by one to his cunning wiles. Okay. So that metaphor, cunning as a serpent, right? <coughs> the serpent is the is the this beast in paradise who convinces Eve to convince Adam to go to the tree. So so they're basically saying he's a devil. And the sad fact, went on Valignano, is that he was formerly of our faith. He is even baptized. About wow. this... I don't, know, I don't know if that was in the movie. Yeah. So he's a former Christian. About this persecutor, I will probably be able to give you more information later on. But what I want to tell you just now is that Valignano, prudent superior though he is, was finally moved by our pleading, especially by that of Garape. Garape? And consented... How should I say that? Yeah, I guess I okay. And consented to our secret mission to Japan. So now the die is cast. For the conversion of Japan and the glory of God, we have somehow made our way to the east. Now we face a future which is certainly fraught with even greater perils and hardships than that sea journey around Africa and across the Indian Ocean. But if you are persecuted in one town, flee to another. And within my heart there constantly arise the words of the apocalypse that honor and glory and power belong to God alone. Is that from the Bible, I'm guessing? That yeah. Okay. yeah. As I have already told you, Macau is at the mouth of the great river Chukyan. It is built on one of the many islands with which the entrance to the bay is studded. And like all the towns of the east, there is no wall surrounding it, so that it is impossible to say where the city boundaries are. The Chinese houses stretch out like dust, but anyhow, no matter how many towns and cities of our country you imagine, you can never get a picture of what it is like. 
The population is said to be about 20,000, but this number is almost certainly false. The only thing here that might recall our own country are the governor's palace, the Portuguese warehouses, and the, cob and the cobbled roads. A fortress with cannons stands facing out into the bay, but fortunately, until this day, the cannons had never had to go into action. The greater part of the Chinese show no interest in our teaching. On this point, Japan is undoubtedly, as St. Francis Xavier said, the country in the Orient most suited to Christianity. However, ironically enough, as a result of the Japanese government's forbidding ships of its oh, forbidding ships of its own country to go to foreign lands, the monopoly of the silk trade in the whole Far East has now fallen into the hands of the Portuguese merchants in Macau, so that the total income of this import is expected to rise to four hundred seraphim, as opposed to one hundred seraphim last year and the year before. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, all this is pretty much straightforward information. Yeah, keep going. Today I have wonderful news for you. Yesterday we at last succeeded in meeting a Japanese. Formerly it seems that quite a number of Japanese religious and merchants came to Macau, but with the closing of their country such visits were brought to an end, and even the few who were here returned to their own country. Even when we asked Valignano we got the answer that there were no Japanese in this town. And yet, quite by chance, we found that there was a Japanese living in the midst of the Chinese in this town. Let me tell you how we came to meet him. Yesterday, an awfully rainy day, we visited the Chinese sector of the town to see if we could somehow get a ship bound secretly for Japan. We wanted to find a captain and sailors. Macau and the rain. The rain makes this wretched town even more wretched. The whole place was shrouded in ash and gray, while the Chinese, huddled in little houses that looked like dog kennels, left the dirty streets so deserted that there was not a shadow of life in them. As I look at such streets, I think, I wonder why of the mystery of human life, and then I grow sad. Going to the house of the Chinese to whom we had an introduction, we spoke about our business, and he promptly told us that there was here in Macau a Japanese who wanted to return to his native country. In answer to our request, his little boy went in search of the Japanese. What am I to say about this man, this first Japanese I ever met in my life? Reeling from excess of alcohol, a drunken man staggered into the room. About twenty-eight or twenty or nine or, or nine years of age, he was dressed in rags. His name was Kichijiro. When he, finally he answered our questions, we learned that he was a fisherman from the district of Heizen near Nagasaki. Before the famous Shimabara insurrection, he had been adrift on the sea and had been picked up by a Portuguese ship. Whether or not it was due to his drunkenness, I do not know. But there was a crafty look on his face, and as he spoke, he would roll his eyes. Are you a Christian? The question came from Garape, but the fellow suddenly shut up like a clam. We could not understand why Garape's question should make him so unhappy. At first, he did not want to talk at all, but at length, yielding to our entreaties, he began bit by bit to tell the story of the Christian persecution in Kyushu. And here it is. In the village of Kurosaki in Heizen, he had witnessed the spectacle of 24 Christians being subjected to the water punishment by the local daimyo. Daniel. Wooden stakes were fixed in the sea at the water's edge, and the Christians were bound to them. When the tide came in, the water would reach up to a certain mark and then recede. The Christians gradually became utterly exhausted, and after about a week, they died in the most terrible agony. Did even Nero of Rome devise such a cruel method of death? As our conversation went on, we noticed a strange thing. While Kichijiro described his hair-raising spectacle, his face became distorted. Then suddenly, he lapsed, he lapsed into silence. 
He shook his hand as though some terrible memory rose up from the past to haunt him. I wonder if among those twenty or so Christians who underwent the water torture, there were some of his friends and acquaintances. Perhaps we had put our finger on an open wound which should not have been touched. Well, anyhow, you are a Christian, aren't you? Again, Grappe put the question persistently. You are, aren't you? I'm not, said Kichijiro, shaking his head. No, I am not. Anyhow, you want to go back to Japan. We have money to buy a ship and to get together and to get together a captain and sailors. So if you would like to return to your country, at these words, those Japanese eyes, drunken and dirty, and dirty yellow, flashed craftily, and remaining squatting on his knees in a corner of the room, with trembling voice as though he were speaking in self-defense, he begged to be allowed to return to his own country, if only to see again his beloved relatives who remained at home. Thus began our dealings with this jittery fellow. In the dimly lit and dirty room, a fly kept buzzing around and around. On the floor lay the empty sake bottles from which yeah, saki. oh saki saki bottles from which he had drunk. But anyhow, it is good to have this fellow. Once we land in Japan, we won't know right from left. Someone will have to shelter us. We will have to get in contact with with Christians who can protect us. So now we can use this man as our first guide. For a long time, Kichijiro sat facing the wall, clasping his knees and thinking deeply about the terms we now offered. Then he agreed. For him, it was an, for him, it is an adventure fraught with danger, but I suppose he feels that if he misses this chance, he will never again be able to get back to Japan. Anyhow, thanks to Father Valignano, it looks as if we are going to get hold of a big junk. Yet how frail and passing are the plans of men. Today we got news that the ship is eaten up by white ants, and here it is terribly difficult to get a hold of iron and pitch. Mm-hmm. So, so now we have a couple characters, right? We have um, Father uh, Garape, uh, Father Rodriguez, Father Ferrero, and then we have the Inquisitor in- Inoue, and then we have Kichijiro. So Inoue is, is essentially the devil, and Kichijiro is this guide, but he's a drunk. So he's not really the best guide, but he's the best that they have, right? All is part of their search. So read this both literally as well as metaphorically as we're going through it. Okay. So Kichijiro would be... We'll see. Okay. Every day I keep writing this report bit by bit so that it looks like a diary without a date. Please be patient in reading it. A week ago, I told you that the junk we had succeeded in getting hold of was almost consumed by white ants. But now, thanks to God, we have found a method of overcoming this difficulty. We are going to seal up the inside and then set sail for Taiwan. Then, if this emergency measure looks like holding out longer, we will go straight on to Japan. We ask for God's protection that we do not run into any big storm in the East China Sea. This time, I have bad news for you. I told you that Santa Marta, completely exhausted by the long, painful sea journey, looked like he was catching malaria. Now once again he has been seized by a severe fever accompanied by shivering all over his body. He is in bed in one of the rooms of the college. You know, you who knew him in his former vigorous health cannot imagine how wretchedly thin and broken down he has become. His eyes are bloodshot and dim, and if you put a wet towel on his head it becomes warm as though it had been immersed in hot water. To go to Japan in such condition is simply unthinkable. Valignano says that unless we leave him here for treatment, he cannot give permission for the journey of the other two. We go first, said Garape to console Marta. We'll prepare the way so that you can come afterwards when you get better. But can anyone predict what will happen? Perhaps he will live a safe and happy life, while we, like so many other Christians, will be captured by the infidels. Marta remained silent, his cheeks and chin covered with thick stubble. 
and he stared at the window. What was in his mind? You who have known him for so long can certainly understand his feelings. The day when we boarded the ship, the day when we boarded ship, received the blessing of Bishop Dasco and sailed out of the river Tagus was followed by the long, terrible journey. Our ship had been visited by thirst and sickness. And why did we endure all this? Why did we make our way to this crumbling town in the far east? We priests are in some ways a sad group of men, born into the world to render service to mankind. There is no one more wretchedly, wretchedly alone than the priest who does not measure up to his task. Marta, in particular, since our arrival in Goa, had a very special devotion to St. Francis Xavier. Every day while praying at the shrine of the saint in India, he had prayed that he might go to Japan. So that's a, that's a, a good small section to, to keep in mind. We priests are in some ways a sad group of men born into the world <coughs> to render service to mankind, and there's no one more wretchedly alone than the priest who does not measure up to his task. Right. And that, I think, does sum up the, the plight of many people who work the work of Dean. Wait, why do you say that the work of Dean? says, because <clears throat> uh, a lot of times you're basically consumed with trying to help people, mm-hmm. and you're always falling short of how much you want to do it or how much you feel you need to do it, Right. So in another class, we were going through, I don't remember if I mentioned this, we are going through some biographies of some big sheikhs uh, from India from the 1800s and 1900s. And what they've accomplished, and they're in the modern era, like one dies in 1944, they're in the modern era. What they've accomplished makes, you know, like the work that I do seem like nothing, right? I mean, the gigantic things they've accomplished. Like the guy who founded Tablighi Jamaat. I mean, so Tablighi Jamaat might have a million people active at any given moment, and this one person, Molana Ilyas, uh, is going to get credit for every single prayer done by every single one of them. <laughs> and yeah, try to just even do the math of, of the type of influence they've had. Good. Do you think in that example, the people in the Ligi Jamaat who neglect their families, do you think he gets the sins for that since, they started, since he started it? Uh, I don't know if he'll, I mean, so there are definitely examples of those people. Uh, I don't know if he would collect their sins, because I don't know if he's prescribing that behavior, right? It would be like saying the people who misuse Islam is the prophet peace and I'm going to be held to account for them, right? Uh, I don't think so, right? Um, I mean, if he is prescribing to leave your family, and thus people are following, that's one thing. I mean, if he's prescribing to go make your prayers... And then people are using that as an excuse to leave their families. That's something different, right? Yeah, Ellen knows best. Um, but the point being that um, you have, when you're doing this type of work, there's always a sentiment that there's so much more work to do, right? So let's say you're feeding the hungry. And let's say you're even feeding thousands of people, but you're going to keep noticing that there's still another 10,000 people you have to feed. Right? So it's almost like you're always in a losing battle. But why do you have to be alone? Why can't you be in that battle with people? No, even if you are working with people, there's still um, the sentiment that, um, you know, there's, uh, you keep falling short of your goal. Priests are probably more alone because it's almost like they're not working in a jama, so to speak. But I think there is a similarity there. Okay. 
Every day we keep praying that his health may be restored as soon as possible, but he makes no progress. Yet God bestows upon man a better fate than human knowledge could possibly think of or devise. Our departure draws near. Only two weeks remain. Perhaps God in his omnipotence will miraculously make all things well. The repair of the ship is proceeding rapidly. The new boards we put in after the trouble from the white ants make it look completely different. It looks as if the 25 sailors that Valgnano found for us will bring us to the sea near Japan. These Chinese look thin and wasted like sick men who have not eaten for months, but the power of their wiry hands is incredible. With these thin arms, they can lift the heaviest food boxes with ease. Their arms look like iron pokers. Anyhow, we are only waiting for a suitable wind to set sail. As for our Japanese, Kichijiro, he mingles with the Chinese sailors, carries baggage, and helps with the mending of the sail. But we are missing no chance of watching closely the character of this Japanese upon whom our whole future fate may depend. By now we have come to realize what a cunning fellow he is, and his cunning comes from weakness of character. Listen to what happened the other day. When the eyes of the Chinese overseer were upon him, he made a show of working with all his might, but when the overseer went away, he immediately began to idle. At first the other sailors said nothing, but at length they were able to put up with it no longer and beat him soundly. That in itself is not too important, but what astonished us was that when he was struck down and severely kicked by three sailors, he grew deadly pale and, kneeling on the sand where he had fallen, pleaded for pardon in the most ugly way you could imagine. Such conduct is pretty far from anything you could call Christian patience. But this weakling's cowardice is just like that. Raising his face that had been buried in the sand, he shouted out something in Japanese. His nose and cheeks were covered with sand and a dirty spittle ran down from his mouth. Now we get some idea of why he suddenly shut up like a clam when we first mentioned the Japanese Christians. Perhaps whenever he speaks he has a dreadful fear of his own words. Be that as it may, this one-sided fight was brought to an end when we finally intervened on his behalf, and so all became quiet. Since that time, Kichijiro greets us with a servile grin. Are you really a Japanese? Honestly, are you? It was a typical Garape question, and not without a touch of bitterness, but Kichijiro, with a look of astonishment, asserted emphatically that he was. Garape had too credulously taken at its face value the talk of so many missionaries about this, no this nation whose people don't even fear death. It is true, of course, that there are Japanese who have endured torture for five days on end without wavering in their fidelity, but there are also cowardly weaklings like Kichijiro, and it is to such a man that we have to entrust ourselves after reaching Japan. He has promised to put us in touch with Christians who will give us shelter, but now that I see his way of acting, I wonder how much he can be trusted. But don't think that because I write in this way, we have lost our energy and enthusiasm. On the contrary, when I reflect that I have entrusted my future to a fellow like Kichijiro, I cannot help laughing. When you come to think of it, our Lord himself entrusted his destiny to untrustworthy people. In any case, in our present circumstances, there is no alternative but to trust Kichijiro. So let's do so. Only one thing is really disconcerting. He is a terrible drunkard. After his day's work, he uses every penny he has received from the overseer on sake. Saki. This, his way of acting when drunk is unspeakable. I can only conclude that he has some haunting memory, something that he is trying to forget by drinking. In the night of Macau, there echoes out the sad, long-drawn-out sound of the bugle from the lips of the soldier guarding the fortress. Here, as at home, in our monastery, after supper, there is benediction in the chapel. And then the priests and brothers, candles in hand, retire to their rooms in accordance with the rule. 
The servants have just marched through the courtyard. In the rooms of Garape and Santa Marta, the light is extinguished. Truly, this is the end of the earth. Beneath the light of the candle, I am sitting with my hands on my knees, staring in front of me, and I keep turning over in my mind the thought that I am at the end of the earth, in a place which you do not in a place which you do not which you do not know and which your whole lives through you will never visit. A throbbing sensation fills my being, and behind my eyelids arises the memory of that long and terrible sea journey, so that my breast is filled with pain. Certainly my being in this utterly remote and unknown oriental town is like a dream. Or rather, if I begin to reflect that it is not a dream, I feel like shouting out that it is a miracle. Is it true that I am in Macau? Am I not perhaps in a dream? I cannot believe this whole thing. On the wall is a great big cockroach. Its rasping noise breaks the solemn silence of the night. Go into the whole world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. He that does not believe will be condemned. Such were the words of the risen Christ to the disciples assembled for supper. And now as I obey this injunction, the face of Christ rises up before my eyes. What did the face of Christ look like? This point the Bible passes over in silence. You know well that the early Christians thought of Christ as a shepherd. The short mantle, the small tunic, one hand is holding the foot of the lamb while the other clasps a staff. This figure is familiar in our countries, where we see it reflected in many of the people whom we know. That was how the earliest Christians envisaged the gentle face of Christ. And then in the Eastern Church, one finds the long nose, the curly hair, the black beard. All this was creating an Oriental Christ. As for the medieval artists, many of them painted a face of Christ resplendent with the authority of a king. Yet tonight for me, the face is that of the picture preserved in Borgo San Sepulcro. There still remains fresh in my memory the time when I saw this picture as a seminarian for the first time. Christ was one foot on the sepulchre, and in his right hand he holds a crucifix. He is facing straight out, and his face bears the expression of encouragement it had when he commanded his disciples three times, Feed my lambs, feed my lambs, feed my lambs. It is a face filled with vigor and strength. I feel great love for that face. I am always fascinated by the face of Christ, just like a man fascinated by the face of his beloved. At last our departure is only five days away. We have absolutely no luggage to bring to Japan except our own hearts. We are preoccupied with spiritual preparation only. Alas, I feel no inclination to write about Santa Marta. God did not grant to our poor companion the joy of being restored to health, but everything that God does is for the best. No doubt God is secretly preparing the mission that someday will be his. Alrighty, so they're on this mission, and it's a perilous journey, and they are um, waited to see, you know, do they get to Japan, and then will they find the Christians there, and will they find Ferreira? and find out what happened to him. And meanwhile, they have to make sure that Inoue doesn't catch them. Alrighty, so, so think about the big themes right now that they're dealing with. One is just safety. Is is God going to take care of them? Right? And the other is, is, is Inoue going to catch them? So is God also going to protect them? Right? And both of those relate to the unknown. So there's this threat from nature, and then there's threat from people. Like books are often man against man, man against nature, and these are both of those. Make sense? Mm -hmm. So we'll see where it goes from here. Dun, dun, dun.